as we prepare to hear from our Heavenly Father, the, the one who brings this whole family together, let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for how you have worked through time around the world and here and now. Father, as we have been reminded, we are just one tiny, tiny part of, of your work with so many people in so many places. Father, we are grateful for how you have worked in us and through us. And Lord, we ask as we reflect on your word together this morning that you would speak to us. Speak to our minds, help us to know more about you, and also speak to our hearts and help us to love you more. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So we're beginning a new sermon series today that will take us through Christmas Day, and we're calling this series Anxious Anticipation, and I want to set up a little bit why, why this series, why that title. So we're going to be reading some texts from the Minor Prophets and also from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and those texts, and I think our life situation reminds us that this world is full of things that make us anxious, of of reasons to be anxious, and also the reality that we are anxious whether we have reasons or not. And, and we've talked about that with our sermon series on anxiety the last few weeks, but in so many ways we live in an anxious, anxious age. And even beyond our circumstances right now, even beyond the fact that we live in an age where anxiety seems, seems higher than usual, we live in a world that is just full of trouble, that gives us real reason to be worried, to be concerned, to be troubled. And so, so we are anxious. But as Christians, we aren't just anxious, we also anticipate. In the season of Advent, we are anticipating the, the, wonderful, the wonderful and great fact that the Lord himself came to us in Jesus, was, was born as one of us, became truly human, and took on our sins in order to save us. We anticipate Christmas. And perhaps even more than that, we anticipate the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will return and when, when finally... When finally all of our anxiety, all of our reasons for anxiety will be swept away and the kingdom of God will come and be all in all. So this Advent we have, we have different levels of anxiety perhaps, but more and more hopefully we can embrace some levels of anticipation. So we're going to be reading a, a text from the Minor Prophets and a text from the Gospel of Luke each Sunday for the next few Sundays. Today we're going to be reading from Malachi and also from Luke chapter 1. The words will be on the screen. You're also welcome to grab a Bible from the benches or, or pull it up on your phone if you want to follow along a little more closely. But now hear the word of the Lord from Malachi chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, 
against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And then we'll turn over to a more familiar text, and we'll read from the Gospel of Luke, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah answered the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. This is the word of the Lord. So I would guess you have had an experience something like what I've had in stores a few times, I think mostly in Walmart, that there are salesmen in the stores who are trying to sell you a new, a new electric company or a new phone or internet company, and it feels like once they make eye contact, it's just hopeless. Because no matter what you say, no matter if you keep walking, no matter if you almost punch them, they will keep badgering you. It just doesn't end. And anything you say that's, no, I don't want that. No, I don't need that. Well, what about what you, you feel like they sit around at night and just come up with different things that they can say. If someone says something terrible to me, I'll have this response. And if, if someone says they don't need my script, I'll have this response. And it just goes on and on and on. And there's been some stores I've stopped going to because I just couldn't handle the pressure. So tired of it. Well, what this text tells us is that God is wearied by his people here here in Malachi. And I think it's worth us reflecting on how we are wearying God. How do we weary God? And whenever we talk about the emotional life of God, we, we have to be a little careful because it's, it's like ours and unlike ours. God is always greater than us. But, but there is some analog here of, of God when his people come to him feeling like, really? We're doing this again? We're doing this again? And what what in these verses is it that wearies God? And I think there's an overall answer, but then Malachi gives us two more specific ways that the people are, are exhausting God. And the overall answer is that they are not letting God be God. 
They want to put themselves on the throne of the universe and they want to get to decide everything and, and they are not letting the Lord be God. So that's the big thing. But I think in particular <clears throat> here in Malachi 2, there are two ways that the people are, two types of questions that the people are asking the Lord that are wearying him. In one way, they are questioning the Lord's goodness. They are saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he's pleased with them. They're saying, it doesn't matter if we do good or evil. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. God doesn't care who does this and who does that. It doesn't, doesn't make any difference. And God is weary of his people. And this is, this is not the nations out there. This is God's own people saying, God doesn't care about good or evil. And what that really is, is a questioning of God's goodness. Because if we say that God doesn't care about good or evil, we are saying God is not really, really good. He is not holy. He is not perfect. He is not dead set against all evil. But he's kind of wishy-washy and just doesn't really care. And I think, I know, I confess, that we too question the goodness of God. We too want to sit on the throne of the universe and we want to be able to say to the Lord, what I think is good is good and what I think is evil is evil and, and God, you don't really have a say in the matter. And when we do that, what we are actually doing is questioning the Lord's goodness. I want to invite you into a thought exercise on this one. I, I want you to reflect on the last time, the last time that you read scripture, heard a sermon, we're in prayer, and you experience the, the reality that God did not agree with you. When was the last time that you were, you were thinking about something in your life or something in the world, and you recognized what I think, what I feel, is not in line with what God thinks and God feels? And this is a little bit of a, a trick question, because if you have not, in your memory, had a time when God disagreed with you, then you are not really in touch with the true Lord of the universe. What you are doing is you are building a God to your own specifications. And if your God is not allowed to speak back to you, then you are not really, really in tune with the Lord God himself. And so I want to invite all of us to reflect when we, when we hear God's word, when we hear the Lord speak, do we let him say what he has to say? Or do we shunt aside and push aside the things that we disagree with? And do we want to be the ones who know and who determine what is good and what is evil? So the people of Malachi's time are questioning the goodness of God, but, but they're also questioning the greatness of God. They're asking, where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? We are not seeing justice. Where is God? What is he up to? And I think in a little different way, Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 is questioning the Lord's greatness. I mean, an angel appears to him and an angel says, an angel says, this is how God's going to work things out. And Zechariah responds with, how can I be sure of that? Is God really going to accomplish that? I mean, I'm old. And think about this for a moment. If the Lord God made the universe, is he really going to have any trouble helping an old couple have a baby? This is not going to be a problem for God. But what we see in Malachi, what we see in Luke, is people, people saying, I, I don't know, is God really there? Is God really? Really? 
And by the way, it's not the asking of the question that's the problem. Later in Luke 1, we see Mary ask a very similar question and get a very different response from Gabriel. It seems like it's more the spirit behind the question. It's not so much just saying, God, can you really do this? It's, it seems like there's an edge to it. God, really? I mean, we all know God isn't really going to be just. We all know that God doesn't really act. It seems, like, it seems like that's the spirit behind the questions that gets these people into trouble. And so, and so God is, in some sense, wearied by the attitudes and the expectations and the actions of his people. And so he responds, and, and his response in Malachi is, is really interesting. And I think it fits a pattern we see in other places in the Bible that, that the Lord doesn't really exactly answer the questions head on. Instead, what the Lord does is he says, he says, you, you need refining. We need refining. The problem, the Lord says, is not with him. The problem is actually with us. And what we need is not for God to sit down and give an accounting of his actions and and show why he deserves to be the Lord of the universe. What we need is to be personally transformed so that we come to see from God's perspective better. We, we need change. So Laura and I had a had a mutual acquaintance, kind of the person who introduced us in college, actually. And, And starting out in college, he had, he had a kind of compact little purple Pontiac car. Think junky little car. And he drove it like a maniac. We went up to Michigan with him once, and I think it's the fastest we've ever gone there because he did not take his foot off the gas pedal the whole way. And then, and this shouldn't be a surprise, he crashed it a few weeks later. Totaled the thing. Done. Finished. And he picked out a Camaro. Because, you see, the problem was that his Pontiac didn't have enough acceleration to get, out, get him out of trouble. So what he needed was a faster car. So we went and he told his dad, Dad, I picked out a nice red Camaro. It's a great deal. You should buy it. And then I won't have any more trouble because I'll be able to accelerate out of all kinds of situations. And his dad, his dad took his advice under consideration, reflected on the reality of the situation, And then his father bought him the biggest Buick you have ever seen. So big that you could get rear-ended by a semi and you wouldn't notice for five minutes because the rear end was so far back there. So slow that the only way to break the speed limit was to drive off a cliff. You see, the problem was not that the car wasn't fast enough. The problem was in the driver's seat. And this young man's dad realized that, that the Camaro was not, in fact, the solution. That better acceleration was not the problem. The problem problem was that this guy didn't know how to drive safely. And so what was needed was not a change in circumstances. What was needed was a change in his self. What was needed was for him to drive a car where he had to learn how to drive safely and not just trust that the more he pushed on the gas pedal, the more trouble he could get out of. And so often in our lives, and this goes all the way back to the Old Testament and comes, comes around to today, so often in our lives we look at the problems we have, we look at the troubles we have, we look even often, I think, at the questions we have for God, and we're asking the wrong kind of questions. We're saying, I wrecked my car, I wrecked this part of my life, and what I need is more power or more this or more that, or I need, I need God for you to get in line with what I want you to do. And in fact, the problem is often, not always, but often not our circumstances, but ourselves. What we need is not more power. 
what we need is for our hearts to change. And in, in the Reformed tradition, we're stronger on this than some others, but I think the whole Christian community would agree that, that yes, our, our, our actions are a problem. Our sinful actions, the ways that we do things wrong, those are a problem. But what maybe is even the bigger problem is our hearts. That our hearts are corrupted and infected with sin and, and we want the wrong things and we can't even recognize what the right things are. And maybe we can control our actions. And some of us, some of us maybe can't control our actions or at least don't and that's our big problem. But, but for some of us, we do control our actions and our problem becomes pride and self-centeredness and thinking that we're good enough. When in fact, sin is at the root of so much, not just of what we do, but of who we are. And so the Lord answers the questions of his people with, with what sounds like judgment and is, but is also grace. It is not that you need me to answer your questions, says the Lord. It is that you need me to come and change who you are. And I think we see something of this in how Gabriel interacts with Zechariah. It seems like Zechariah asked this question of Gabriel and so of the Lord that's really disrespectful and, and really not, not the right kind of question or the right kind of attitude in that context. And Zechariah does give him a judgment. He says, I stand before God and I have come from God to speak to you and you doubt me, you're not going to be able to speak. Until this promise is fulfilled, you won't be able to speak. And, and there is a way where that is a judgment. That is a way where Zechariah suffers a very direct consequence. Speak out against the Lord, don't be able to speak. But it's also an act of grace. It's, it's, it's what you might call a, a time to think. And it gives Zechariah an opportunity to reflect on maybe how he's sitting sideways to the purposes of the Lord, on, on, how, on how he needs change. And so I want to invite you today to reflect on how you might be sitting sideways to the Lord. How might you need not just surface level change, but deep, deep change? How you might need the messenger of the Lord to come and refine and purify you. But this is, this is treacherous water. This is deep darkness for us because, because as the text asks, how can we stand how can we stand the coming of the Lord's messenger? How can we stand that? I read a, a book a few years ago, and it was a fantasy book, so not reality at all. But there was a particular character, a, a granny character in that book who had this sort of magical gift that she could, she could take away all the walls that someone built around themselves. She could take away all the little lies they told themselves, all the ways that they, they justified their behavior, all the ways that they said they weren't that bad. And, and this granny could just knock all those walls down and force someone to see who they really were, to see what their life was really like, to remove all the pretense and, and all the things that we build up to make ourselves feel okay, to just take all that away. And how many of us, if that granny was here today, would volunteer for that treatment? How many of us would really want all our little delusions and all the lies that we tell ourselves and, and all the little games that we play just gone in an instant and to see how we really are? How many of us could stand that? And if you can, you are a braver and better person than I am. And that's what Malachi tells us is going to happen here when the messenger of the Lord comes. And he talks about the Levites, about people who are supposed to be the holiest of the holy people. And, and he says they can't, 
They can't measure up. They can't stand this. And by implication, neither can anybody else. And Malachi here is talking about, mostly about the coming of John the Baptist, but I think there's an element of the coming of Jesus there too. And, and as we see in Luke chapter 1, when John the Baptist comes, that's a wonderful thing because he's going to bring people back to the Lord. But, but it's also a terrible thing because John the Baptist comes with judgment. He calls people things like, you brood of vipers. And he calls the religious leaders, the pastors of the time, he calls them a brood of vipers, let alone anybody else. When the messenger of the Lord comes, he comes with some pretty rough language and some judgment for us. And when Jesus comes, he turns the temperature up even. There is a way, and I think it is deeply true, and we'll get there, where Jesus is gentle and lowly, but there also is a way where Jesus speaks words of fire and judgment and where people are bewildered and even frightened by him. So often when we go to the Lord and we ask him, we ask him questions, what we are expecting is for the Lord to come and to be on our side. And it seems like Malachi is speaking to people who, who think the Lord is going to come and he's going to judge the nations, the people out there, and, and Israel can sit back and finally claim their inheritance. But what Malachi does is turns that around and says, no, when the messenger of the Lord comes, he's going to judge you. He's going to judge you. And what we see then is, as we so often do in the Bible, is God's people shrinking back and saying, I, I, I don't know how close I want God to come. You can imagine if you were a, a large block of gold with some impurities, that if the refiner came along and for some reason started talking to this block of gold and, and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you in a really hot fire and we're going to melt you. And if the block of gold was conscious, you probably could imagine most blocks of gold would be saying, no thanks. I'm good with the shape I'm in. I don't need to be burned up. Or you can imagine a, a garment that you're about to throw in the washing machine saying, wait, you're going to throw me in with some chemicals and you're going to spin me around like crazy and drown me and then you're going to throw me in this burning hot place and, and I, I'm good. I'll take the stain. And so often, so often if we're honest with ourselves, we would rather live with the impurities. We would rather live with the stains than really undergo the the refining and the purification that we need. And here, brothers and sisters, is, is in many respects the problem of the world and also the problem of Advent. That what we need, what we need deep, deep down is for the Lord to refine us. What we need deep, deep down is to enter the refiner's fire and have, have all that junk, all that stuff that we push away or push down or that we've even given up hope on ever changing. We need all of that taken out of our lives, but we can't stand the process of refining. And we need purifying. We need the spots taken out. We need those, those broken things, those scars that we bear. We need all of that taken away so we can actually live, but but none of us could stand the purifying process. And one of the realities that we look at in Advent is that we are in a time of darkness. We are in a time when, when we do not have and when we are not enough. We need to be unmade and remade and we can't stand it. And the reason, the reason we gather is that that is not the end of the story. Jesus comes with judgment, but Jesus also comes with cleansing. And he comes with cleansing in a way that we can finally bear. 
And so we can stand before God only in Jesus. But in Jesus, we can stand before God. Malachi points forward to the messengers of God coming and John the Baptist and Jesus. And, and his language there should scare us. It should worry us. If we're actually listening, we should be concerned. But when Jesus comes, and he comes with judgment, and he comes with a lot of clarity about how good and how great God is, and, and there is no room for negotiation with the Lord. But Jesus puts himself in the crucible. Jesus submits himself to the fire. And what we see in Jesus is somebody who takes what we deserve. He goes into the fire. He goes into the water. He, he goes into the darkness on our behalf. He accepts the punishment that is due us. And so when our, Lord, when our Lord ultimately rises from the dead, he comes as one who can refine us in a way that we can bear, who can clean us up in a way that will not destroy us. You see, a refiner who does his job well does not burn up the metal. You would not go back to a refiner who said, yeah, I took that impure gold and I melted it all and poured it out and it's gone, so you don't have to worry about it. And you would not go back to a dry cleaner who said, yeah, that stain was really bad, so I just burned up your suit. Don't have to worry about that stain anymore, do we? You go to a refiner, you go to a, you go to a cleaner who can actually do the job and at the end, at the end have real gold at the end, have a clean outfit. And that is who Jesus is for us. He's the one who comes, and it is not easy, it is not always fun, but, but in Jesus we are finally made clean. If you've ever gone on a service trip to a, to a developing world country, you may have experienced the lack of a shower for a while, or one of those really cold showers that dribbles about a drop every minute, and and you get sweaty and you get hot and you can't ever get clean. And then you come back home and that first shower, that first bath, that first jump in the pool, when finally you feel clean, when finally, when finally the gunk is off you. That is spiritually what Malachi and Luke are inviting us to. Not that we get all our questions answered, not that we finally get the Lord to, to give an account of his actions to us, but that finally the Lord comes and he cleans us out in ways we never could get to ourselves. That is the invitation today to step into the refiner's fire, knowing that the refiner wants what is best for us, knowing that the fire will not burn us up, but instead will consume the evil and the brokenness and make us right. So often when we ask those questions about God's goodness and greatness, what we are really doing is grieving. We are really saying the world is not how it's supposed to be or I'm not how I'm supposed to be and God, it hurts. It hurts. And God responds to that by, yes, judging our evil and wiping out our evil, but also by extending his grace. And, and in this life in Jesus, we can begin to see a picture of what it looks like to finally be clean. So you are invited to that today, to experience perhaps once again or perhaps the first time the reality that Jesus, that Jesus can and does make you and make me clean. Let's pray.
Father, we so often find ourselves anxious these days. We so often find ourselves worried about today and tomorrow and the whole world and, and anything and everything. And Father, we have to confess that so often we come to you with, well, with what our best, with what at our best we recognize are perhaps not the right questions or not the right way of asking the questions. Lord, the more we come to know ourselves and the more we come to know you, the more we realize that we fall so short, that we are so impure and so, so dirty. Lord, we desperately want to be clean. And so many of us have adopted so many strategies and done so many things to get there, and we just can't. And so, Lord, we pray that you wash us. We pray that you, through the blood of Jesus, wash away our sins, wash away our guilt, and wash away our brokenness, too, and make us right with you. Lord, as we look toward Christmas, help us to receive your message and your messenger with joy, and in Jesus, to be able to live with real faith and hope for the day when we will truly be clean. We pray all this in your name. Amen.